Well, I think blogging is one of the best businesses in the world uh, because the operating profit margins are massive. It, uh, I mean, I did spend 500 bucks to have someone help me set it up and, you know, maybe another several hundred dollars to get the design up. This was back in 2009. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, but now you can start a blog for less than 100 bucks a year. And so any income you earn, you'll cover that quickly and it'll be like 98%, 99% profit margins. Um, but I wrote because I needed, uh, you know, some therapy, some writing therapy to deal with the chaos. And it was easy, it was fun. And I would write regardless if Financial Samurai made any money because it's just fun to connect online, discover new ideas, try to uncover blind spots. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is the Financial Samurai, Sam Dogan. And today we're learning his story, his experience, retiring at age 34 in 2012, how he negotiated himself something of a, a runway, a takeoff to get him out of the corporate world, how he set himself up financially to get to that point where he, he had enough assets, enough income, enough investments to float himself along as an early retiree, how he built passive streams of income in his early retirement, what he did after he took a year off and traveled the world, how he came back, how he got bored. This is one of the things that you find when you speak with enough people who retired very, very early and took a year off is oftentimes they get bored and they want to go back to work. And that's what he did. He just did it on his own terms, doing his favorite things. A lot of great experiences in here. He recently released a brand new book, Buy This, Not That. Great content, great book that'll teach you how to spend your way into wealth and freedom. I love it. I love his message. I love what he's teaching people just like you, how to get into real estate and entrepreneurship to build passive income, not just the boring, tired, max out your 401k and leave it at that type of financial advice. So great information, great book, great conversation with Sam. I think you're going to learn a lot. I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage properties. If you're interested in learning more and would like to learn about investing with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com, schedule a call with me, and I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see your reviews. I get to see your comments. I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Once again, right now, our guest is Sam Dogan from The Financial Samurai. Without any further ado, here we go. Sam, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. For our listeners out there who don't know about you, your background, and your incredible achievement of retiring at age 34 in 2012, which is amazing, can you tell us, us about your background and what you do? Yeah, so I worked in finance and investment banking, specifically equities, uh, from 1999 to 2012. 
Uh, it was a great run, but after about the 10th year that coincided with the global financial crisis in 2009, I said, this wasn't fun anymore. And I wanted to figure out a way out. And I was working 60 plus hours a week, and I just didn't enjoy my time in finance anymore. And the harder you worked, it didn't mean the more you would get paid. The correlation was off because we had to continuously subsidize money losing uh, divisions of the firm. And so in 2009, I started Financial Samurai as a cathartic way to deal with all the chaos and the losses and the destruction. And two and a half years later, I was able to negotiate a severance that paid for about five to six years of living expenses so I could just be free to do what I want. That's awesome. And that part in particular, you know, you told me about that really kind of blew my mind that you were able to negotiate that. You were in a pretty unique position uh, to, to be able to negotiate that uh, severance, right? Well, I think it's not too unique because the entire finance industry pays a portion of your compensation in deferred comp in stock and cash. Same, th- same thing with the tech industry. Same thing if you're you know, like a partner at some other firm, there's a lot of industries that pay part of your compensation in deferred compensation. So it's kind of like a golden handcuffs. It's a retaining tool to keep people with you. But the problem is, is that unless you plan to work forever, eventually you're going to, you're going to want to leave. And so one of the problems that I see um, is that people who want to retire early or do something else, they quit instead of trying to negotiate a win-win situation where they offer a smooth transition for the employer. Because the worst thing that can happen if you're a normal employee is that they lose you and they take three to six months to interview for your replacement. And then it takes another three to six months to get the replacement up to speed. So if you can help transition smoothly, seamlessly without a lot of downtime or anything at all, your firm, no matter where you're working, will be much more uh, agreeable to offering you a severance. Nice. And I love that mentality of negotiating a win-win situation. And can you tell us about how you had set yourself up to be in that position, not just from the standpoint of being able to negotiate a severance, understanding the win-win situation, but that's not all you had, right? You had the uh, Financial Samurai blog, you had investments. How would you put yourself in the position to be able to walk away? Yeah. So in 1999, my first job, I had to get into the office at 5.30 in the morning. Wow. And then, yeah, it was crazy. And then I had to stay there until after 7 p.m. because I had to connect with my colleagues in Asia. So it was a never ending grind. And then Sundays, it was Mondays in Asia. So I knew from the very first month um, that I couldn't last in this industry for 20, 30 years till 50, 60 years old, like a traditional age of retirement. And so the difficulty of working in finance really early on in the world headquarters at Goldman Sachs in New York City, made me want to save and invest as much as possible so that when that time comes, I originally thought I could maybe last until 40. When that time comes, I would have enough passive income from my investments so that I could have options to do what I want. So what happened actually was I left at 34 because I found this new discovery of the severance and then also something to do with Financial Samurai, which started to grow, you know, just normally, just because I kept on writing three times a week since July 2009. Wow, that's impressive, and that that takes a lot of work. And you know, writing is a—it's something you really have to 
just sit down and force yourself to do. It's easy to walk away from it and not complete a writing assignment that uh, that you've given yourself. But okay, so starting in 1999 and then you know retiring around 2012, there were two crashes in that period: the mm-hmm. tech stock crash and also obviously the Great Recession. Everybody's aware of. How did you? not get kind of caught up in either the mania and lose out and everything in the tech crash, tech bubble, and then also, you know, the great recession. How did you kind of sail through those? Were you unscathed? What what did you experience then? So I started work in 1999. So when the dot-com bubble crashed in 2000, I didn't have that much money invested. Mm -hmm. So that's a good thing. But I did uh, get lucky. I invested in this Chinese internet company called VCSY. All it had was a dial pad on the homepage. And it was like an idea like, oh, this could be kind of like the Yahoo of China. Um, So I pounced on the idea. I bought $3,000 worth. And I told all my friends on the different trading floors of the different Wall Street banks. And then the the company, the stock ended up being a 50 bagger. Wow. So yeah, uh, unfortunately, I only invested 3,000, but it went up to about 165,000 within a couple months. And I was huge, right? Because I was only 23 years old. And then it started falling just like everything, you know, all the B2B, B2C companies. And then, so I finally got out at 155,000 and it was great. Right. So I realized over the subsequent two years that it was just all funny money, you know, things went up, things went down. Like one day you had something, one day you didn't just poof and nothing was real. And so what I did was I reinvested hundred percent of it into San Francisco real estate in 2003. Cause I figured, well, it's like a real asset. It's not going to go poof overnight and it'll provide me a place to live. So let me just do that. At least I could convert it into something real. But in 2009, I got crushed. Mm-hmm. I was saving and investing really aggressively 35, 40, 50, probably average 60, 50 to 60% of my um, after-tax income, every paycheck and every bonus was saved. Wow. Um, more like 90 plus percent of my every year bonus was saved and I diversified and I still got crushed. I lost about 35% of my net worth in six months and it was devastating, right? 10 years to build and, you know, six months to lose 35%, maybe even more. And it was just such a, you know, terrible time that it finally forced me to start Financial Samurai in July, 2009, because I came up with the idea in May, June, 2006, after I graduated from business school part-time, but I was like, nah, let me work. You know, it's been 60 plus hours a week and then 20 hours of MBA part-time. Let me just focus on my work. Uh, You know, forget about financial samurai or starting something on the side. But once everything crashed, I was like, okay, there's no more reason not to start. So I started. Wow. So at that point, you had taken, you said a 35, maybe more than that percent hit. Was that everything invested in San Francisco real estate or what was your like distribution at that point? So I think back then it was more like 60%, 50, yeah, 50, 60% real estate, uh, 40% stocks, and then like 10% bonds. Um, so over 90% of my net worth was uh, exposed to risk assets. Mm. And so risk assets, stocks got crushed. Real estate, uh, you know, real estate in San Francisco probably declined by 15 to 18% versus the overall market, maybe more like 30%. So it outperformed, but it still got crushed. And, uh, you know, I still had a lot of leverage. So those were, you know, really some sobering moments. 
So when I think about San Francisco real estate, now I invest in, in other areas, but when I think about San Francisco real estate, I think little to negative cash flow even today. I don't know about back then, but you know, you, you took a hit on the value, but was it producing cash flow so you could kind of make it through? I mean, what yeah. happened there? I mean, it was positive cash flow. I bought San Francisco real estate uh, in 2003, 2000, and end of 2004. And then, and then the, you know, the financial crisis happened. So it was positive cash flow for my rental property. Uh, my primary residence is, you know, it didn't really matter in the sense that it was going up and down. I had to live in it anyway. Uh, but the good thing is that I remember, you know, the rent for my rental property was the same, right? For, for two years. It didn't go down. It just didn't go up. It was just sticky and it was positive cash flow. So it allowed me to just hang on, collect the rents, and then wait for better times ahead. And the better times started coming at the end of 2011. So right around late 2011, early 2012 is when the real estate market and the stock market start, started taking off again. And then, of course, we've had like a 10-year bull run, which was basically luck because I left in 2012. So I left when my investments were kind of in the dumps, like they went down 35%, you know, they came back, right? But they're still like treading water. But then I was lucky because over the next 10 years, they did well. So something Absolutely. to do with luck and timing. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we are not immune to the conditions around us, right? We're, we're kind of a product of, of those conditions and, and what we can do about them and with them. So in starting the, the blog, you'd negotiated the severance. How did the blog eventually turn into you know, a profitable venture? I'm assuming profitable. You wouldn't still be doing it, right? If it, if it wasn't. But how long did it take to start you know, basically being worth the time? Well, I think blogging is one of the best businesses in the world uh, because the operating profit margins are massive. It, uh, I mean, I did spend 500 bucks to have someone help me set it up. And you know, maybe another several hundred dollars to get the design up. This was back in 2009. I didn't know what I was doing, uh, but now you can start a blog for less than a hundred bucks a year. And so, any income you earn, you, it'll cover that quickly, and it'll be like 98 percent, 99 percent profit margins. Um, but I wrote because I needed, uh, you know, some therapy, some writing therapy to deal with the chaos. And it was easy. It was fun. And I would write regardless if Financial Samurai made any money, because it's just fun to connect online, discover new ideas, try to uncover blind spots. Um, but you know, after about two and a half years, it started making like a really basic livable income. Wow. And I just reinvested all of that into investments, right? That could generate passive income. So I didn't have to do any work. And my realization for its potential was in the fall of 2011. When I got an email on my phone while I was in a bar in Santorini, Greece. Wow, cool. I'd been hiking around for two hours. It was 78 degrees, beautiful weather, overlooking the crater, wonderful. And I got an email from an advertising client in London who said, I would like to pay you $1,000, or it could have been $1,100, but it was at least $1,000 to put up a link on your website. Are you cool with that? And I was like, well, I was drinking a beer. It was like $8. Mythos beer. It wasn't that great, but good. <laughs> and I said, okay, I'll I'll do it. Let me see if I can put it on using my iPhone. Um, and I did it within 30 minutes. He PayPal'd me a thousand plus dollars. And I was like, oh, let me have another beer. <laughs> this could be good. 
And so it was, it was really like kind of like the aha moment. I was like, oh, I could actually not starve if I leave my job. And if I was somehow able to negotiate a severance that paid for five years of living expenses, hmm, I got to give this a shot. You know, I'm 34, you know, if it all else fails, I'll just go back to work. Mm, well, that is a little bit of a, I don't want to say look before you leap strategy, but it sounds like there was a, a little bit, something of a calculated roll of the dice. On. Yeah, I mean, my investments by 2012 were generating about eighty thousand dollars a year oh, in awesome. passive income. Awesome. So, you know, I knew that if I left, um, you know, I would take a huge active income hit, right? It would go to zero. Well, actually, it wouldn't go to zero because financial samurai was generating some income, but I would take like an eighty plus percent active income hit. But I knew if all else failed, I wouldn't starve because I had the severance and I had income coming in from financial samurai and my passive income. So I was like, okay, it'll be a you know a basic life in San Francisco, but my wife at the time was still working. She was three years younger than me, and I said, well, if I do this and things work out, you too, in three years at the age of thirty-four, can leave your job forever. And that's what happened. I was able to help her negotiate a severance in wow. two thousand fifteen. Wow, that's awesome. So I really want to make sure we fast forward to your experience and lessons that you've learned. You know, being semi-retired and your wife being a, a presumably fully retired and lessons you've learned along the way. I know you have a, a book that's that just came out um, that you know I want to make sure we we discuss here. But you know, I imagine life changes pretty considerably when you're not working more than 10, 15 hours a week and it's all completely voluntary. But also, you know, there all the market turmoil out there, everything that happened yeah. with COVID health insurance, so many things, so many variables for, you know, the self-employed person. So tell us about being retired. So after about one year of retirement, you know, we traveled to 20 countries in 2012, 2013, played a lot of tennis, pick up golf again. It got kind of boring. Wow. And so I unretired and I did some part-time consulting because I live in San Francisco and it's boom time startup culture. And I thought to myself, can I tell my grandkids that I didn't experience startup internet culture while living in San Francisco for 40 years? <laughs> uh, no, I can't. So what I did was I actually ended up consulting for several startups, series seed up to series C rounds. And I thought that was really interesting and it was fun to scratch the itch. Um, and I did just other things uh, with regards to financial samurai, just so I could um, experience what it was like. And so Ultimately, I describe myself as a fake retiree. This is fake retirement, right? I'm spending about 15 to 20 hours a week on Financial Samurai, writing, doing some podcasts, you know, doing interviews, doing outreach, well, responding to um, outreach. And it's really fun. And I realized that working about four hour, three, three to four hours a day on something productive is kind of the optimal balance. So like back, back when I was working 12 hours a day, like six, seven hours is like total waste of time. Mm -hmm. You know, no wonder why, you know, work from home is working because most people weren't working that intensely all day at work, right? We know that, you know, if you work four hours a day, you probably get 80 plus percent of your work done. And that was me. And so that's been my whole situation. And it's been, it's been a great ride since then. Well, I, I totally agree with you. I think some of the old guard don't really realize, or maybe don't want to admit how unproductive offices can be with just wasted time and, and inefficiencies. But, you know, I've 
certainly ragged on on offices enough uh, on this podcast <laughs> in the past. So being you know work optional or unretired or all these things you want to call it, you know, in my mind when I'm thinking about this, I would be I, I feel a, a little bit of 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 worry, right? You're not actively yeah. working. You see the market you know, tanking, especially early on, you know, in COVID, what has that experience been like? So I'm a father uh, and I I like to say that I'm a stay-at-home father because that's what I've been doing for the past five and a half years since my son was born. And so my first and foremost responsibility is my family and to protect my children and my wife. And so that experience has been pretty harrowing because if you don't have children, life is relatively easy. You just have to figure out how to survive on your own and take care of yourself, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you have a zero to five-year-old, I mean, they're vulnerable. You know, that is where it's been most difficult for me. And I know a lot of others, you know, work from home or, or parents during COVID. Uh, but I found solace in being able to pull them from preschool, pull my son from preschool and be a stay-at-home father for most of the time until this year when he went back to preschool and my, my daughter, she's two and a half years old now. So literally she was born four months before COVID started. It's been great, but it's been, you know, you got to protect her and you got to be there for her. And so I look at the positive and say, look, COVID shut us down from travel and from doing all this other stuff, but wow, what a blessing to be able to spend time with them. And I was able to get my book deal with Portfolio Penguin Random House at the end of 2019. And I started writing my book, Buy This, Not That, How to Spend Your Way to Wealth and Freedom in early 2020. So I said, well, if there's ever a time to write a book, it's during the pandemic. Because I don't (laughs) want to look back, right, 10, 20 years from now, and my kids or my grandkids will say, hey, dad, what did you do during the pandemic? And I'll say, I don't want to say, oh, I didn't do anything. I just took care of you guys. I want to say, look, I took care of you guys. I wrote this best-selling book. Uh, I recorded many podcasts so you can listen to what life was like 10, 20 years ago during the global pandemic. So I wanted to turn the negative into something really, really positive. Nice. Nice. That's great. And, you know, uh, spreading the knowledge to others. And, and I love that tagline, how to spend your way to wealth and freedom. And I guess, what does that really mean? Because that's also counterintuitive, right? You'd kind of expect that to say how to save your way yes. to you know, time freedom and all that. So what does that really mean when you dig into it? So it was definitely on purpose how to spend your way to wealth and freedom. And the reason why is if you want to achieve and build great wealth, achieve financial independence and build great wealth, you've got to go on the defense and the offense. So defense is saving, budgeting your way to wealth, but that should be a default setting. Everybody should save aggressively, you know, save at least 20%, max out your 401k, IRA, Roth IRA, and then try to build your uh, taxable portfolio, whether it's, you know, your taxable brokerage account, you know, or your rental property portfolio, whatever it is, because those are the investments that are going to pay dividends, coupon payments, whatever rental income to enable you to leave your day job well before the age of 59 and a half. And so when I say spend your way to wealth and freedom, it's a different mindset where you go on the offense and you treat your spending as investments where the income upside is unlimited, right? The wealthiest people in the world, they build businesses and it is just unlimited in terms of the equity you can build, the income you can make. And so I wanted to really encourage people to change their mindset from frugality and savings to investing and earning and building. 
And one of the things that I've seen uh, since starting Financial Samurai in 2009 is that many, if not most, uh, personal finance writers uh, in the media and, and whatnot, they focus on the saving and budgeting part, which is totally fine, but there's just a limit to how much you can save and budget. And I was trying to figure out why is it that they don't focus more on uh, investments, entrepreneurship? Why don't they go beyond just normal index funds? And the reason why, and this was the epiphany of writing the book over two years, is that it's hard to, to write, to talk about investing in other things beyond index funds. It's hard to write eloquently and talk about things beyond just saving and budgeting. And why is that? It's because it's hard, but also it's because I realized most of um, the writers out there actually don't have finance backgrounds. It was like a real wake-up call. In 2009, I was like, where are the people with finance backgrounds writing about personal finance? And there really weren't any. And in 2022, I didn't see many people with finance backgrounds writing about writing personal finance books either. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to fill this hole and I'm going to try to attempt to do it with buy this, not that. Mm, great. Okay. So I love that you bring up entrepreneurship in particular, because when you talk about budgeting, maxing out your 401k, you know, Roth IRA, all those kinds of things, if that's, you know, right for the individual person, that's pretty formulaic. You know, you can invest in index funds and there's a handful out there, S&P, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, anybody can write that book basically. But as far as providing a, a roadmap or a strategy to go become an entrepreneur or start a business or start a blog or, you know, whatever floats your boat, the world is your oyster. I mean, there, there are just so many options out there that are are workable that there are a lot of books that you could you could write about starting a business and I think I agree that people from finance backgrounds aren't writing those books it's kind of a lot more milk toast go buy an index fund and don't yeah. don't drink a latte kind of things yeah the, the wealthiest people I know they didn't get rich saving their way to richness and buying index funds they got rich by, you know, taking big bets in private equity for, you know, private companies or starting their business. That's how they really was were able to, you know, generate generational wealth. And so if the idea is to try to achieve financial independence sooner rather than later, which is the financial samurai tagline, you've got to do things differently than the masses. Because the masses, frankly, you know, we're not doing that great in America. I think, you know, the median retirement account is about 100 grand maybe 80 grand 80 to 100 grand which which is fine it, you know the median age in america is about 35 that's actually not bad if that's truly the age and the median retirement account but you know we we only got one life to live and it is so much more interesting and it's so much more fun to try to build a business or to invest in things that could be 10 20 baggers 100 baggers i mean obviously they're not going to be guarantees but it's worth taking, uh, educating yourself to see what is possible. Because once you know what is possible, I think the reality has become much more possible, much more clear. Wow. I love that. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and Get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. 
Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Sam, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So that's easy. The best investment I've ever made is starting Financial Samurai. Because by starting Financial Samurai in July 2009, I was able to find something I wanted to retire to, not from. Mm. And Financial Samurai has been a wonderful way to deal with all the chaos in the world. Writing is therapy, and it's been great for my mental health. It's been great for uh, meeting new people, great connections and relationships. Financial Samurai generates livable income for a family of four here in San Francisco, which is also a great bonus because I'm doing what I love to do. And then finally, Financial Samurai has offered me all these new opportunities, such as speaking to you on this podcast, uh, an editor from Portfolio Penguin Random House reached out to me and gave me a book deal to write Buy This, Not That. And so that's been, it's just been so wonderful. And I just, I just couldn't be happier. Awesome. I love it. And something I want to highlight here is, you know, look behind the curtain a little bit as you've talked about the hours you work and loving what you do. And we're recording this at 6 p.m. my time, East East Coast time on a Sunday. Yeah. And so it's, you know, Sunday afternoon for you. And a lot of people would be off if they were retired, not not working on their passion, but you're you're taking your time to uh to speak with us, which I certainly appreciate. Also want to make sure we uh we highlight that. So we have the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? So the worst investment I've ever made was in 2007. I had just gotten promoted to vice president. Wow. I had a record high bonus. I was feeling great. And I decided to buy a vacation property in Lake Tahoe. And I counted for you know, 35, 40% of my net worth. And then the value of the property then went down about 50% over the next two, three years. <laughs> right. And I thought I was getting a great deal because I was getting it for 15% off. And I also was like, well, vacation property in Lake Tahoe, three and a half hours away. It's where I first took my now wife on on a date when she came out to San Francisco. And so there was a lot of nostalgia and there was a lot of extrapolating what my income profile would look like going forward because 2007 was the the most I ever made. And I said, well, at least I'll make that much or more over the next 10 years. (laughs) Sure. Right. So like a donkey, um, I bought something I didn't need and then it lost a lot of money. And it was like my albatross uh, around my neck. Uh, But the good thing is I still own the property today. I never welched on my payment and I'm now able to fulfill my dream of taking my children up there. And I will be taking them up there uh, in a couple of weeks. Nice. Awesome. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Consistency and taking more risks. Too many times people think, oh, what if I fail? And it'll, you know, people will look like I'm an idiot and I'll lose all my money. But the reality is the fear in your head is often way worse than the reality. And if you really want something, you're going to pre-mortem it. You're going to figure out ways to get there. You're going to create a bullish case scenario, a realistic or a realistic case scenario, and a bearish case scenario. And then you're going to figure out how are you going to operate with various scenarios. So it's a great scenario analysis. And so 
don't be afraid of taking more risk, especially if you're 20 in your 20s or 30s, you don't have children, you don't have to take care of elderly parents. Take more risks. You will regret more of the things you don't do than the things you try. And then once you take those risks, stay consistent. Stay consistent and give your passion project enough time to grow. Because I promise you, if you stick with it for a long enough period of time, something good is going to happen. And you won't be able to expect what that something is, but something good will happen. And um, that, that yeah, that's my advice for you guys. Awesome. I love it. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. Great connecting with you, getting to know you a little bit. For our listeners out there who want to track you down, where can they find you on the internet? Where can they find your book? Where can they find your blog or anything like that? Where can they find you? Well, you can go to financialsamurai.com. And if you like to pick up a hard copy or any kind of version of my book, Buy This, Not That, How to Spend Your Way to Wealth and Freedom, you can go to financialsamurai.com forward slash BTNT. And if you want to sign up for a free newsletter, I write one every week at financialsamurai.com forward slash newsletter. I'm always around. I'm always reading the 2,500 plus articles I've written since 2009. Because if you leave a comment, I'll be able to see it because that's how it works uh, behind the scenes. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, if you don't mind, guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.